0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast. We appreciate you making time to learn and grow with us. Here you will find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, have a listen.
1: Well, I'm going to start off with this story, and uh, I pulled this off my shelf here today, and uh, you might not see it from here, but it's, it's on the screen. There was um, a time in my life about 25 years ago or so that uh, a, a few of us in a church I was a part of really felt this vision to work with young adults and create a, an environment where. Any young adult, whether they were part of the church or not, or friends, or friends from work or school, would come to an environment and, and uh, be able to have a conversation, dialogue, have a good cup of coffee, um, talk about different topics that would intersect their life and their faith. And this was incredible at the time. We had just started this off in the church basement, and we re-kind we re- of fitted the basement to, to set up these monthly environments. And this team started to form to to build these environments. We used to call it the Gathering Cafe, and it was really reaching out like to a 20s and 30-something crowd. And and then we got this opportunity to be downtown and to use a a storefront downtown that was part of a church, Evangel Church owned this spot down there, and they let us use it right there on St. Catherine Street. And so for eight or 10 months a year, for about five years in a row... The third Saturday of the month, we would just come together and pull, you know, desserts and coffee and people would set things up and musicians would come and play and we would create an environment for conversation and all that kind of stuff. And what I, one of the things I remember so clearly about that season is our team. They were so committed. We would organize our life almost around these third Saturdays of the month um, in fact, sometimes when a, an event would come up, or a party, or even a wedding, there were certain weddings that some of us would were maybe were, were invited to at the same time, and we said, you know what, let's do the cafe, and then let's go for coffee. <laughs> like, let's scrap the, 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 the food part, and let's go for coffee. Like, we were, it was, became such a priority in our life that we moved things around to just be invested in this vision together. And when I thought about that today, and, and you can come check out this article because it was, what was interesting is that the, the Gazette actually covered us at the time. This is dated Saturday, February 14th, 2004. Crazy. So, what, what it reminded me of this is, have you ever been so committed to something or so excited about something or so invested in something that you prioritized your schedule around it? that you move things around for it. That like some of our teams would be like, you know what, this thing is important, but man, we've invested in this. And so we're gonna try and figure out either how to do both of them or how to move some things around. And I wonder if you've ever experienced that. And I think that's the kind of question I have in mind as we continue the series we're in that we started last week. We've been talking about these hard asks of Jesus, these difficult invitations that Jesus has for us, and this theme that runs through some of the scriptures we're looking at right up until Good Friday where the word follow is in, follow me. And around the word follow me, Jesus usually uh, has some other ways of describing what that looks like. And for the two last weeks, we looked at, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Or if you want to lose, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you really want to gain life, then you're going to lose it for my sake and for the gospel. We're going to explore a couple more of these sayings as we lead up to Good Friday. I'm excited for next week. In fact, Kelly's going to lean into one uh, New Testament story that's so profound, and I think it's going to be really important for us but today, I want to ask this question, like, how real is this demand? You know, this deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I noticed a few, when we were worshiping, a few seats were a little bit more emptier than last week, and I'm like, is it March break, or are these difficult asks of Jesus really hard? <laughs> and everybody's like, I'll wait to the next series. Let's wait to the next uh, passages of Scripture. Let's wait to celebrate Easter together, you know? How real is the demand, In our groups, our community groups are walking through our our Sunday teachings as well, and uh, I've been been part of a group, and one of the questions is, it helps us wrestle with, what does it look like every day? What does it mean every day? What does it mean in my life? Uh, As a mom, as a dad, as a single person in in business, uh, working in a school, in in health, whatever, what does it mean to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus? And I want to look at two texts today that I think are going to help us understand what it means to prioritize this, but it's still a challenging ask from Jesus, and what it means to be prepared for this as well. So what it means to prioritize following him and how we can be prepared that we might actually do it. And the first text is Matthew 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, verse 34. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. If you'd like to follow with us or just listen, here's Jesus teaching his disciples, and um, this is some pretty challenging words here as well. So Matthew 10, verse 34, he says this. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This fits into the conversations we've been having last week. We were in Mark 8 and then Mark 16, but you can see there's very similar language. So this theme is not something that Jesus just said once, It's very likely it kept coming up in his conversation with his disciples. And it feels like Jesus is clarifying this first thing we want to talk about, priorities. He's clarifying the priorities of his disciples and what it means to follow him. And I think this text is really questioning them, is really kind of pushing them a little bit against the corner and saying, do you recognize that sometimes following me will lead to reprioritizing other parts of your life? And think back to to last week and the week before, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And then you read an illustration like this, and like, that's shocking. That's a shocking illustration. I have not come to bring peace, but to come bring the sword. But yet Jesus is the king of peace, the prince of peace. He does bring peace. The cross and resurrection reconcile people. Yet here in this moment, he says, I haven't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Or think about when he says those words that we just read, and I'm sure that that jolts us a little bit. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Man, that's harsh or hard. Jesus prefaces that by warning his disciples that sometimes when they choose to follow Jesus, it actually might bring division in their key relationships. Because some of those people that they're in relationship with might not fully grasp the goodness and the invitation and the call of the kingdom. Father and son, mother and daughter, in-laws and in-laws. Now, some of you guys that don't like your mother-in-law have a new excuse, but (laughs) you did not hear that here. (laughs) just joking. I love my mother-in-law. I saw her yesterday. <laughs> there was no division. We were good, really good, good, good conversation. But this, this is a hard ask, a difficult invitation. Is it really true? Because the Bible does affirm, like, honor your parents, honor your father and mother. Paul tells us in Ephesians to parents, don't provoke your kids. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. There's at least a 100 love one another or one another texts in the New Testament. Like, what is Jesus getting at? And it seems that it could happen as we follow Jesus that when someone is unable to see the beauty and the promise and the purpose of God's kingdom, they can't always understand why their mother or brother or father or sister or friend is off following Christ, has, has become part of a, a, a movement and, and a framework and a new relationship that really transforms their life. They sometimes can't understand why someone close to them has gotten caught up in God's kingdom. Or maybe when someone is attached to the world and the way the world works, which is normal for most people. This is the world we swim in. This is the the water we swim in. This is the air we breathe. So when someone comes into contact and they're already attached to the way the world works and they can't fathom that someone so close to them, their life could be governed by other priorities, by other realities, by other things. When a son or a mother discover God's kingdom and follow Jesus... I wonder if that can sometimes feel like it brings division in a home if there's two kind of worldviews contrasting each other. And I, I think that's so true. Like, I, I encourage um, young adults when they're thinking of, when, if they're in a relationship or they're thinking of getting married or something like that, I, and, and if they're following Jesus, I always invite them, like, you ha- before, you, before you get into a relationship, before you get married, before you you know, move forward, always put yourself five years or ten years down the road and ask yourself, if you're following Jesus today and Jesus invites you, prompts you to walk in this direction, will your spouse even consider walking with you? That's a difficult thing. When my wife and I were first thinking about planting West Side, I couldn't fathom making a decision like that with my wife unless we both were following Jesus. But something happens when There's a disconnect. And it doesn't mean that a marriage can't work or a relationship can't work or or a family situation. We can still, there can still be ways that we we nurture a a home and relationships, but we can see that, man, there's, there's moments that Jesus will invite us to do something, and sometimes those closest with us, they don't get it. That's not easy. When one's ambitions or appetites or goals and purposes are completely different, it can feel strange to the other person. So think about it in the Jewish world. In a Jewish context, family was everything. In fact, I mean, even religion was connected to family. For, for, for a Jew at the time, the way that, 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 you know, the Jewish people grew was through procreation. It was through babies. It was through families. It, was, it wasn't that, like, we, they went and reached out to others, and then others became Jews. And today, I mean, basically, if your mother's a Jew, you're a Jew, and that's kind of still how it works. And that's how it was working back then. And so, procreation was how religion worked. But here comes this rabbi, and this rabbi says, oh, even eunuchs, even eunuchs are welcomed into my kingdom. That's Jesus calling right now, guys. <laughs> He's calling you. He is. Thank you for that reminder, Sharon. I loved it. (laughs) A eunuch is a male who does not have their male parts. Either they were born without it or it was a medical procedure. And Jesus says to eunuchs, you're welcome in my kingdom. But he says something more. He says, if you want to become a eunuch, in other words, not in a physical sense, but in a sense of remain single to serve my kingdom, you can do that. You are welcome to intentionally live a single life. And Paul said something similar to those who were wondering, well, what if I, if I want to serve Jesus in this way? And he says, well, listen, if, if, you, can, if you can withhold or not get married and you want to stay single, you can serve God's kingdom in this way because there's just normal limitations, good limitations that come with marriage and family and such. So to a Jewish person, they're like, why? Why would I do that? How will our faith grow? Well, Jesus' invitation and step in faith was now a broader family, not just blood. The church became a broader family of what it means to be his people. So you've got to understand this. Jesus is not downplaying family. Jesus is not speaking poorly of family, but it's his way of highly lifting up allegiance to him. It's, way, it's a way of him inviting us to understand what true, full allegiance to him looks like. Gersaint gave me a, an article this week on this whole theme, and this author, Christy Gambrel, writes this. She says, Jesus calls us to exercise allegiance and complete submission to him. It's like this. Unless Jesus takes priority in your heart and your life, you can't follow him. How will we follow if we don't fully see him as king and as Lord? And I'll just think about families for a moment because I was chatting with some families this month and, and we're, I was saying, hey, we're going to come to this text. They're like, oh, I want to be there. I want to understand what this means. You know, can I maybe like reject my kids for a day so I can follow Jesus? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They didn't say that. But wh- here's, here's the thing with families. If we're really, really honest, if we're really, really honest... Some of us can worship our families. Some of us can worship our kids. Some of us can worship these ideals that we, we prop up, and then it becomes the only thing. In fact, Christians, I think, have made an error at times of not bringing good focus to the family, but on sometimes worshiping the family, where everything else, like you can't serve God if you're not serving God in this way, And I think some parents have become tired and indebted or broke, ensuring their kids have every possible opportunity for development and success and every good experience and every good advantage among, about, you know, over other kids. I know, I'm a parent. I know the feeling. And some parents have done everything to make sure their kids have absolutely everything, absolutely every experience, absolutely every advantage. I want them to have the best. I want them to be the best. And we're creating fear of missing out, FOMO in our kids, afraid that they're gonna miss out on something. And I see so many tired and indebted parents that have not, not just been intentional about raising their kids, but where their kids or their futures have become almost like idols. And there's a, there's a difference. It's okay to be intentional. It's okay to lean into your kids. It's okay to to pour into your kids and develop your kids. It's okay to to, to also sacrifice for the good of your kids. But here's this invitation. When we prioritize Jesus in our lives and our homes, our priorities get organized and work out in the best way possible for the best outcomes. It's not always the way the world promises. It's not always the invitations of the way the world works. But as we invite Jesus to be leader of our lives, he's also leader of our homes. And this this is not only for parents. This is for all of us. There's things that we can intentionally lean into, intentionally develop, but sometimes those things get put on pedestals and they become the priority. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't worry about your life. God can provide for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And at the end of that, that teaching, he says, seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all other things will be added to you as well. In the prayer, in the, in the Lord's prayer, he says, my kingdom Come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can replace earth with my family, with my home, with my relationships, with my workplace, with my neighborhood. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. And I think we can sometimes be stuck in these places and uh, where Jesus says, lose your life for me in the gospel and my kingdom, you'll gain true life. Sometimes, parents, and all of us, it means also trusting that God's ways can work better. There's a story that I always appreciated from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in, in Atlanta, and he, he pastors a lar- very, very large church, thousands and thousands of people. When the church was starting, he was struggling because, I mean, he is a very type A person, ambitious, visionary. And, and his wife was now having their third child and their three kids. And she was, you know, um, chose to stay home and be home with the kids. And, and there was a moment where, like, man, family was high and busy. Church was very busy. And, and uh, he, said, he said to his wife, well, his wife was really kind of burnt out. And he said to his wife, what do you need? And she said, Andy, I need from 4.30 in the afternoon to 7.30 in the evening. Can you give me 4:30 in the afternoon to seven? That is the hardest part of the day for me. So Andy struggled. He was so passionate to see this church grow, and he said, "Okay, I'm going to figure things out to give you to make sure that I am home from 4:30 to 7. And she told him, "She said, Andy, if you want to take a five five a.m. meeting, I don't care. If you want to take a phone call at night, at night, I don't care. Can you be here for this? Now you're saying, but wait a second, shouldn't Andy serve God and like what about loving?" Like, didn't Jesus just say, love your, love, you know, love me more than, more than them? But this is what Andy realized. It wasn't his family. It was his church that he was loving more than Jesus. And then he's like, oh, okay. And this is what Andy said. And I, it's, I, I, get, I have to remind myself of this often. He just had a, a real serious chat with the Lord in prayer. And he's like, Lord, in this season of my life, I'm going to give you 40, 45 hours you got to do what you can for the church because you have also called me to parent these kids. So this wasn't an overambition for the kids. This was an overambition for ministry. And that's also when we prioritize Jesus, he helps us re-prioritize things in our lives. So don't think it's, oh, I'm not going to benefit from this. God actually works things out as he leads us and guides us with his wisdom. Is that encouraging? I know that's, that's helpful for me. So priorities then lead to preparedness, and we want to become the kind of people that, that can prioritize God's kingdom and be prepared for them. I'll never forget there was a day where we I was at home, my wife was there. We were kind of new to the neighborhood, maybe three four years, and my wife heard uh, outside a glass break, and, um, and just across the street from us. I think we, she might have heard one of my one of our neighbors maybe scream or something. So. My wife went out. She looked across the street, and there is our neighbor, Olga, who had, I don't know, by accident or something, just pushed the door too hard, and her whole hand went through the front door, and the glass broke and cut her on her arm, and you don't want to get cut in that area, right? And so, Franca dropped everything. I mean, Franca dropped absolutely everything and walked, ran over, not just walked, ran over to be with Olga, to help her, to bandage this, to call, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the ambulance, something like that. And I remember in that moment, I realized like, my wife was able to prioritize the main thing. And something was really interesting. She was also prepared to walk over. She wasn't just prioritizing in the moment. She was prepared to walk over. And I think there's something about preparedness that's so important as we discern what it means to follow Jesus in this invitation. Jesus says, if you don't love me more than father, mother, daughter, if you don't take up your cross. He says, you're not worthy of me. That's a real hard phrase, but it doesn't mean you're not valuable. It doesn't mean you don't have dignity. It doesn't mean you're not worthy of love. That's impossible because the whole scripture start by saying you are made in God's image. So don't think that. It doesn't mean you're earning your salvation. You know what? If you love me more than them, you're going to earn my favor. If you do this more than that, if you take up your cross, now, I'm gonna, now God's going to, like, welcome you in. It doesn't mean earning salvation or earning a relationship with God, but I believe it's testing our preparedness. The phrase can even be saying, do you have what it takes? Are you willing to follow? Have you counted the cost? Do you understand what's at stake to follow me? We can say it in those words. Are you prepared to count the cost? And here's the second text in Matthew that's even a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew 8 that I think really helps us out. I find it super helpful. Matthew tells us this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, so he was ministering, serving, teaching, performing miracles maybe, but when he sees the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Teacher, come, teacher of the law comes up to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's pretty strong. <laughs> That's pretty strong statements there. So first, this teacher of the law comes up. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Now, don't get mistaken. He wasn't part of the twelve. We don't even know who he was. He's probably part of the crowd, uh, part of this moment. He's on the roadside. He's seen listening to Jesus, and Jesus is organizing him and the twelve and others to go to the other side. And he's saying, "Hey, I'm going to follow you." And Jesus basically wants to test him. Are you sure? Are you ready? Do you really want to follow me? Are you prepared? Do you know what it takes to follow me? And I think that's an important question, because he says, listen, it's very possible when we get to the other side, we might be sleeping under the stars. It might be very possible when we get to the other side, we, we won't have everything we have on this side. It might be possible that when you're following me in this moment, it might not be as convenient as you would like it. Are you ready to follow me? When Jesus said, go to the other side, Matthew uses the word go three times in this text, The first time there, the second time with this um, scribe, and then the third time with this disciple that we're going to read in a second. And I think what's happening is Jesus is saying, look, this is where I'm going, not just to the other side of the lake, but this is where I'm going. This is the life I'm living. Are Are you ready not just to follow me to the other side of the lake? That's a nice picnic lunch. Are you ready to keep following me tomorrow and the day after that? Are you ready for a lifestyle of following me, not just a life moment of following me. It's two different things. A lifestyle of following, a life moment. And also, the other side of the lake's interesting because it was known as the Decapolis, this non-Jewish region. So was this Jewish scribe ready to follow Jesus to the other side of the lake that was a non-Jewish region and begin serving the people that were not his people? Was he willing to do that? Was he willing to go into a a scenario that was away from the comfort of his relationships and his religion and his ethnicity as he followed Jesus? Because the mission of Jesus will push us out of our comfort zones. And I think Jesus is testing his preparedness. But I like this next one because it really cuts deep when this apparent disciple probably not part of the 12, part of the larger group. He doesn't even tell Jesus he's going to follow him. I guess he's just knowing this is where they're going, they're going to the other side. He just tells Jesus, hey, can you let me go bury my father first? And what's Jesus' response? Sounds harsh. No. Let the dead bury the dead? I don't know about you, but I mean, I've had people close to me pass away. And if I was just chatting with Kersaint, and I'm like, hey, Kersaint, Kersaint, He invites me to do something, and he invites me to like maybe this new thing we're doing at Westside, and I say, "Listen, my dad just passed away, and um, give me give me some time to think about it." And he says, "Dave, let the dead bury the dead." I'm like, "Are you crazy?" What, what do you mean? What's your expectation of me in this moment? Imagine your spouse dies, and, and in this moment, there's, you know, just a, a, an invitation for your, you know, the next step in, in how Jesus is inviting you. You're just like, I just need a couple of months. And Kid's Quest says, let the dead bury the dead. You're like, are, are you? Listen, I'll talk to you next year, okay? Like, I think that would be our reaction It sounds very harsh, but it's another way for Jesus in this moment to test priorities and preparedness. One uh, scholar, his name is Kenneth Bailey, and he, he really immerses himself in Jewish culture. And he said this, he said, if the man's father was really dead or was dead, he would not have been on the roadside that day because according to Jewish tradition, he would have been with his family. He would have been preparing the body. He would have been in a 24-hour grieving period. He would have been doing something that was part of the ceremony or the preparation or the aftermath. In other words, Kenneth Bailey says, I don't believe his father was dead. This was a hypothetical situation. So it's still hard, but it's not harsh. Jesus wasn't being harsh. Now, a Jewish man would be obligated to take care of his family should his father die. And if a father would die, then the son would be one who would have to step in to this role of provision and care in that time period. But what's happening here is as though he uses this as an excuse. Almost like, I need to wait around. My dad's not dead yet. And he's like, I have to bury my father was when, who knows, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next year, maybe the year after that, and I think this was, could be a, in an indefinite kind of scenario, like, Jesus, like, this, this will eventually be my, you know, my responsibility, so let me take care of that first, have, have you ever done that, have you ever offered Jesus a hypothetical scenario to say no to him, <laughs> Jesus, this might happen. I might lose my job. The weather might be horrible. Uh, you know, what if I get sick? What if I get a promotion? What if I, they're me for more responsibility? What if my kids need me? What if my kid decides to go to college? What if my kid doesn't decide to go to college and they stay home? What if, you know, what if my sister has a baby? What if this happens? What if this happens? And we're basically saying, like, Jesus, what if our situation changes? We can't commit at this time. And going back to parents, I remember speaking to parents several, several years ago when we were just talking about how they can somehow, you know, walk, in, walk a spiritual walk with Christ and even serve the church and appropriately in their season. And I just cautioned them. I said, guys, just be careful because the next 20 years are going are to blink. And you're going to look back 20 years from now and say, was there never a season I could have engaged in God's mission? But do you ever do that? I know I have hypothetical situations. But Lord, what if I don't? What about this? What about that? And Jesus is saying, Are you ready to follow me or are you just thinking about it? And I think that's a healthy challenge to this disciple on the side of the road that puts up this what if scenario with Jesus. Priorities and preparedness. Dallas Willard says this, I think it's so helpful. He says, Unless we clearly see the superiority of what we receive as his students, over every other thing that might be valued, we cannot succeed in our discipleship to him. Unless we clearly see the superiority of what we receive as his, Christ's students, over every other thing that might be valued, we can't succeed in our discipleship of him. In other words, how can we learn from the king of kings if he's not our king? How will we learn from the king of kings if he's not our king? And I think the challenge, especially Matthew 8 here, is maybe this kind of challenge. Are we willing to get out of this crowd, this crowd that saw Jesus moving, this crowd that the teacher or the scribe was in, this crowd that this other, not, not the 12, but this other disciple was in, they're watching Jesus, they're there, and they're enamored, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to follow you. And the question maybe is, are we, are we willing to get out of the crowd and into this committed group, those who will follow Jesus? Those who Jesus says, you're worthy of me. Again, not because of your value, but that you actually stop and say, this is the cost to keep following Jesus. And so the question is from Jesus, are you willing to go with me? Not just to the other side of the lake. Are you willing to go with me all the way? Not just for the next event. Are you willing to follow me? Not just to show up at church. Are you willing to be my disciple? Not just will you serve in this mission or ministry, but fully follow me in all aspects of discipleship and mission. And I think this is so key. I'm going to ask the team to come up because we want to wrap up our time together in communion. Ask the prayer team to eventually come up as as we start that later. But let me ask you this question. I think it's an important question. What in your life is distracting you or dissuading you from, from fully following Jesus. And Jesus puts up all these metaphors and these illustrations and these scenarios because I think he's trying to test our priorities and test our preparedness. Jesus loves your kids. Jesus loves your family. Jesus loves your friends. Jesus wants you to be healthy. Jesus doesn't want you to not sleep at night. Jesus, we're not talking about these extreme scenarios, we're just, he's testing our mind and our hearts around this, and I think we need to ask the question, what is distracting me? What is dissuading me? And sometimes it's, it can be even in our own homes. It can be in our own relationships. It can be in our own networks, in our own workplaces. What in your life is distracting you or dissuading you from following Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to to be praying about that, and all the way up until Good Friday and Easter. I think it's an important prayer. And we haven't asked here in a very specific way in this season of Lent to relinquish ourselves or to to let go of something. Um, we've highlighted it, we've introduced it, we've wanted you to think about it because we didn't want we don't want to make it a law or a rigid ask in a sense where uh, it becomes, oh, this is exactly how you follow Jesus. But I'm thinking, of, I was thinking about this. Today is 28 days before Easter. Friday is 21 days before Good Friday. It is the most opportune time in this season of Lent, and as we continue to walk through some of these passages of Scripture where we read the words, follow me and what it means, to say, how will I intentionally let go of something? And fasting is always, often associated with Lent. And so I'm going to ask you to consider two things and and, and, and to do this with us together. I think there's a, a sense of a physical fast that we, we understand. We, we, we actually walked through it last fall, and we have information on our website, that what if for the next 28 days or 21 days starting uh, Friday, where we say weekly, up until Good Friday, up until Easter weekend, I will take a day or a meal, again, depending on people's health, to fast, to relinquish myself, to, to let go of something, to say, Lord, I, I wanna I wanna remember as I'm hungry in my body, I wanna I wanna remind my soul that my soul's hungry for you that as I let go of this, or pause this for the day, or for this meal, that we would just pause and stop and say, I want, Lord, please just kind of reinvigorate this hunger in me for you, this hunger in me for what it means to follow you, this, maybe this physical practice of letting go of something, and Lord, as I'm letting go of this meal, or these two, three meals for the day, God, would your Holy Spirit remind me of this other thing I need to let go of? I might even not know it yet, I might be holding on to it, I might want to be blind to it, but while I'm fasting, would you remind any of that? And so I'm going to invite you right midweek from now till Easter, just to a physical fast weekly, just to, to give ourselves fully to the Lord, to surrender ourselves fully to the Lord. You guys can start playing if you'd like. And then there's this other one. And this, this is not food, but this might be more difficult for some of us, is what about a digital fast? What about all the things that come into our mind that we, all the apps that we have on our phone, look, mine are all there, you can see them all. All the apps that send us notifications and the feeds and all that kind of stuff. And I wondered, what would happen if for the next three or four weeks, the next 28 days or 21 days, we said, you know, I'm gonna keep this, this thing and my digital stuff to a bare minimum. I'm gonna use it to call people. I'm gonna use it to text people. I'm going to use it specifically when I need it for work uh, to get on some kind of application that my work uses for files and folders and projects and such, and if I have a, maybe a schedule for my kids that I use it for. But all every, everything outside of those things, everything outside of, of, of the bare essentials of what we tend to use our phones for today, what if we said we're going to completely fast from those things? I'm going to fast from, from the, the feeds, I'm going to fast from the social media accounts, I'm going to cut them out or put them on pause or deactivate, I'm going to stop these notifications from this, this news outlet because I just keep getting bombarded with this, I don't want to know about the sales that are going on at Fairview this week, I just want to close all this stuff up, I, I'm only going to keep these three or four bare essentials, I'm not telling you to throw out your phone, don't break it, don't throw it into water, please don't do that, but, but use it for the bare essentials. And then everything else, I'm going to fast from it. Why? One, because we are just bombarded with how the world works through these feeds. But secondly, in a similar way to our physical fast, we're saying, Lord, as we give this up, what we're doing is we want to make space in our brains, and we want to make space in our hearts, and we want to make space for the connection between our brains and our hearts. Because we are so full, our minds are so full, and they're so cluttered that we even when we think of you, the next thing that pops up, we think of something else. So God, I want to make room because I want to invite your Holy Spirit to, to teach me and to guide me and to reveal something to me. And, and just really, to, you know, and in this moment when we fast food and we fast these digital, this, these digital platforms, really what we're saying is, God, will you show me what I love more than you? really simple. Will you show me what I love more than you? Ask God that question. Will you show me what I love more than you? And I bet that as we seek first his kingdom and righteousness, the beautiful promise is all other things will be added to you as well. He's going to lead you and guide you. That's the promise of God's kingdom. His kingdom is about your flourishing and my flourishing and the flourishing of the world and peace and healing and holistic community and freedom and when we serve the king and his rule is established in our hearts trust me he's going to lead you how to be the best parent and the best sister and the best coworker and the best neighbor he's not going to leave you hanging in fact he wants to fill those places of your life but when he's the priority that's when they work out better amen so Let's take a moment and pray. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And even as I'm praying, if you need specific prayer for, um, with our prayer team, they're here ready for you. I can't read your minds. I don't know what platforms are grabbing your attention. I can tell you which ones are grabbing mine. I can't tell you what's grabbing yours. I can't promise you that fasting will feel good. But I am certain, I am certain that when we make space for God, when we relinquish ourself and renounce ourself, to make room for him to lead. That is when God does his best work in us. And let's trust all these things that we're holding, all these things that we feel we need to manufacture or create or control or get the advantage of, let's bring them all to Jesus. Say, Lord, lead me, guide me. Be king of my life. And if you're doing this for the first time today, it might seem like a really big ask. But God has a really big promise that goes with it that those who lose their life for His sake and for the gospel, they will find it. His kingdom is better, way better, more beautiful, more fulfilling more meaningful, more satisfying, more peaceful, more flourishing, more holistic, more loving. Oh God, as we stand here before you today, we just um, really offer our lives fully to you. These next moments as we take bread and wine, we also are going to be reminded of our following of you through your death and burial and resurrection. God, right now in this moment we give you everything. We are available to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to truly, truly relinquish ourselves in these next few weeks as we lead up to Good Friday and Easter. Oh, God, may we as a community know that together we are fasting physically to make ourselves more available to you, and that together we are letting go digitally to make more space for you. And God, empower us by your Holy Spirit first to trust you that there is so much more waiting on the other side of that for us. But also give us the courage and the ability, Lord, to press through. And for those today, maybe for the first time, discerning a a decision to follow you, Jesus, oh God, would, would you reveal your heart to them? Would you help them know how much they are valued in you? And this invitation to give, in a sense, their lives to serve you and to follow you, is returned with more and more life to them, your life to the fullest. So we pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you in your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith, where we want you to feel welcome, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, and we hope that you can grow with us. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller group environments and resources for all ages between Sundays. We would love to hear from you. Would you like to ask a question? Ask for help? or let us know how we can pray for you. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com giving.